And we are, we're doing a little two-week message series. We started last week called Two Kinds of Idiots. Not what you thought we'd talk about at church, but the Bible, as we talked about last week, has a lot to say about foolishness and wisdom. And last week we talked about the kind of foolishness, the kind of idiocy that all of us often, if we're honest, fall into, which is where we play God, where we put ourselves in the position of God and kind of don't let him be God. Today we're talking about a different kind of foolishness, and this is the reality that we've probably all seen, is that when you really believe something, you can act foolish on behalf of what you believe. Or when you really love somebody, you act foolish on behalf of that person. So this is actually, we're going to look at a good kind of foolishness, a good kind of idiocy, which is being fools for Christ. And... When I, some of you have heard this story, but I've got a younger sister, you're younger than me, named Rebecca, and when she was in, I think it was sixth grade, there was a kid in her class named John who got a big crush on her, like really big sixth grade crush. And when you're a sixth grade boy and you have a crush on somebody, you have different options, right? You can like write a note, send it to her, you can talk to a friend and feel her out and see what she thinks. You can maybe like kick some dirt on her on the playground or tease her. I mean, boy, there's this funny ways that boys have of trying to communicate these feelings that they have. But John, he was, so he was like in this position of having these strong feelings, this, this passion for my beautiful younger sister. She got all the good looks in the family, not me, obviously. So he was like trying to figure out what do I do with these feelings? And one day it all came together when Mrs. Hunter, the teacher, left the classroom for a while and John's heart was just beating. Like he couldn't, he couldn't focus on math because, man, this overpowering passion was just brewing in his heart. And so he couldn't help himself, but he stepped up on his chair and then literally climbed up on his desk. Mrs. Hunter's gone. Everybody's looking at him. What is John doing? John was kind of a funny-looking guy, too. And John just blurted out, I love Rebecca Hupp! (laughs) In the middle of class. Rebecca Hupp came home just like so humiliated and not knowing what to do with the rest of sixth grade. It, it, it didn't really work out for John and Rebecca, I hate to tell you. But so that part of my example doesn't work out so well. But basically what I want to tell us today is that some aspects of, of following Jesus is becoming John, is becoming fools for Christ, is becoming people that are so like captured with love for him and love for people that we do things that we would never do for any other reason. And when you read the Bible, this is, this is a common theme. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 4.10, Paul is writing, and he says, We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. So he's saying, speaking of himself and these, these emissaries of the gospel who are going out, bringing the message of Jesus, he was saying, hey, you know, some of you, you still like, your Christianity is, is pretty civilized. Like, you're wise, and you've got it together, and you're strong and honored. But man, we're at a place where we're not like that. 
we're just, we're fools for Christ. We're doing things that cause us to be dishonored, that cause us to be misunderstood, that make us look silly. We are, we are fools for Christ. And if you look all throughout the story of Scripture, it's kind of scary because people who follow God often find themselves, God asks them to put themselves in a position where they look kind of foolish. You look at Noah. God tells him, hey, I want you to build this ark because a flood's coming. And he spent decades building this ark. And we're not even sure if it had ever even rained. And they were a long ways away from any, any ocean. And people were mocking him. It looked insane. But what looked like foolishness he was doing for the salvation of the world. To bring a chance to rescue people. And to rescue people from the judgment that they deserve. You could look over and over. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son. Gideon was going to, God called him to defeat the foreign armies. And 32,000 people gathered together to go to war. And then God said, oh, there are too many. And they did this like pairing process, and it got down to 300 people to go against the foreign army. And God did that to show it was his power and not their numbers. Over and over, there's so many things in the Bible. The whole idea of, I actually asked this on Facebook this week, like what are some things that look wise to us, but, or things that are God's wisdom, but they seem foolish to us? People said things like the Sabbath, like the idea that like, hey, take a day every week and rest from your work. It's like, well, how am I going to get everything done? But it's God's wisdom is bigger than our wisdom. Stuff like monogamy, like one man, one woman, lifetime commitment. That goes against what seems natural to us. That seems foolish to human nature. But God's wisdom is, is, is beyond that. Uh, we could go on and on and on. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, 25, again, Paul writes, and he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. That's profound. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And so, the foolishness of God, it's really like not that any part of God's way of doing things is foolish, but it's things that God, God's way of doing things that seem foolish to us. Things that when we see it's like, that doesn't make any sense. That sounds really risky. That sounds uncomfortable. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And I want to just look at two stories Jesus told that illustrate a couple of ways that this plays out that I think are relevant to us. Um, I, I really think they're things that God has been highlighting to me, and I, I think it's for, for us to apply individually and, and as, as, a, as a church community. Um, you guys with me? Any questions so far? Anyone want to just like, if you want to go, I understand. This is not like, man, who wants to be called to be a fool? But hey, it kind of takes the pressure off too, if you think about it. So that's, that's good. Um, but Luke 15, um, this is Jesus teaching. These are parables. These are stories that, that where there's truth hidden in these stories. And it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Well, it's interesting that Jesus, the purported religious leader of Israel, the actual, actually the most righteous person who ever lived, he was hanging out with not religious people. He was hanging out with people that were considered to be sinners. And guess what? 
The religious people didn't think that made any sense. They thought that was foolish. That was that didn't fit their paradigm of what good religious leaders were supposed to do. So in verse 3, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Wow. This is... And this may be familiar to, to, to some of us. Others of us, it's, it's new. But I think about this, this story. There's a shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. He counts them. One of them's missing. Jesus says, what does he do? He's, he leaves the 99 in the open pasture. This is not like here where we have fences. This is in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. If there was no fences, sheep could wander all over the place. But it says, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go find the one that's lost. And that sounds kind of foolish. Because you're leaving 99 sheep. What's going to happen to them? What if a wolf comes? What if they're sheep and they wander away? What if they walk off a cliff? You're, you're risking a lot. You're leaving behind a lot that, is, that represents security, that represents what's in hand, that represents what you know, for some one sheep. Why would you do that? Well, I think it's because a shepherd loves his sheep. And a lost sheep, there's something about, like if you're a parent and you have a child who's sick, it's like, oh my goodness, all of your energy goes into, oh, we need to help this, this, this child that's hurting. Or if you, if you love someone and they're lost, reason kind of goes out the window because there's a greater value than calculation and holding on to things and organizing your life. There's this greater passion. And that's how God is towards us. God can see, like, man, I've got my people. I've got people who know me and are in a relationship with me. And that's really, really, really great. I love that. But... What is the higher priority in my economy is the people who are lost, the people who are far from me, the people who are broken, the people who, who are struggling out there. I think about when this, I just was just reading this week about uh, a study about how people are doing right now in this world we live in. And there was a study by the Barna Group that's been, actually been done consistently um, week by week, and looking at just people's emotional health and how are people doing as a result as, as COVID is going on and, and the re results of that, the, the actions that are being taken. And the bottom line is people are not doing very good. There are a lot of lost people, a lot of hurting people right now. Um, mental illness, mental, mental unhealth is at all-time all -time highs. Um, anxiety is at all-time highs. Addictions, whether it's to, to alcohol is, or other substances, substances is, is really high right now. Addictions to sexual addictions and pornography are really, really high. Addictions to technology are really just eating away at people's souls. And really the thing that 
is probably behind a lot of that is the loneliness factor. That people are really, really, really lonely right now. In fact, in this survey of Americans, the, last, the current one right now is that a half of Americans say they're dealing with loneliness right now. And loneliness is always a reality, but it's even more right now. And even with, with millennials and younger, the numbers go even higher. In fact, for um, 18 to 24 year olds when asked, not just half, but two out of three people said they had experienced pretty serious feelings of loneliness in the last week. And so there's just, man, there is, there are a lot of one sheep out in the world. And some of us, you know, we may be like, man, that's me. I'm that lost sheep. Well, that's, that's good because the good news is that the shepherd, and really Jesus is the shepherd here ultimately, this is how he operates. He goes and finds the hurting lost person. And those of us that are in a relationship with God would say, you know, that's my story. You know, I, Jesus came to me and met me in my place of loneliness and brokenness and loss. And he rescued me and found me and delivered me from my sin and brought me into relationship with him, with the Father, and with other people. That's what God is, that's how God acts. And really Jesus, I mean, he's the ultimate example of this because he left so much more than 99 sheep. He left the comforts of heaven. Philippians 2 says that he laid aside his Godhead, his Godhead. Now, he, he, didn't, he was still God, but he stepped aside from some of the trappings and perks of being God and took on humanity and experienced everything just like we experience in order to come into our world and reach out to us and find the lost sheep and bring them back. And so that's, what, that's how Jesus is. And so that's how he is, and that's how he calls us to be. And the application for us, it, it may be different. You know, it's for, for those of us who are, um, you know, if, if we haven't been found by Jesus yet, that's the application. Like, man, I don't know if I've been found by God. I've, I've, have I been brought into God's family? Well, then the news for you is that God is reaching out to you and saying, hey, I've left everything to come and give my own life to pay the price for your sin and bring you to me. If you will turn from your sin and trust me, you, I, you can be rescued and come into that. And then when we come into that, those of us that have trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, he puts in us that same kind of heart to say, okay, how do I reorganize my life to prioritize lost sheep? prioritize the one lost sheep. And I think that 99, it can represent, if we go a little deeper, other things. It can represent what we have security in. It can represent our, our normal lifestyle. It can represent what's typical. The things that, that we find security in, like I, said, like I said. But Jesus is always saying, okay, I want you to trust me with that, but how, are, how, can, I give, how can you give your life to the, to the people? the way I give my life to people. Um, yeah. Leaving the 99 to go after the one. Um, what else do I want to say about that? I don't know. It's good stuff. Think about that. Um, how, do we, how do we become people who do foolish things 
to become fools for Christ, like, like the shepherd in this story. Um, I'm going to go on. I think that's enough to think about. Let's look at one more story. Matthew chapter 20. This is one of my favorite parables, and it's not quite as well known. Matthew 20, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So this landowner owns land, he owns a vineyard, and it's time to harvest the grapes. So he goes out into the marketplace where people show up who want a job, and he hires them to pick the ripe grapes. This, he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And after agreeing with his laborers for a denarius a day, that was the standard daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So he'd hired the first batch, but then he went back, and there were more people who didn't have a job for that day. And the master did this. To them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So this kept happening. Every three hours, a couple hours, he's going back, and wow, there are more people without a job. And he's still got a vineyard that needs to be harvested. So he just keeps hiring people who are there. Um, verse, verse 6, and about the eleventh hour, so like just almost the end of the day, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So wow, so he's paying the people who were hired at the end of the day first. And so they've only worked like an hour. And they show up and they get the full day's wage, a denarius. It's like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a good payment for one hour's work. They were smart. They, it's smart to just show up at the marketplace, like just at the last hour and get the full pages, play some video games the rest of the day or whatever they were doing. Um, so, verse 10, when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. That makes sense. You know, the guys who got hired last only got, they got the full payment. So what's he going to pay me? But each of them also received a denarius. Ooh, big letdown. Well, if you can imagine being in their shoes, you would probably feel the same way that they felt. Like, this isn't fair. What's, what's going on here? Is this socialism or what? Come on. I worked harder. I worked a lot longer. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. That's, it doesn't calculate. It doesn't make sense. Why are, why are we getting paid the same thing as those who just worked for an hour? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. 
And I'm, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. All right, interesting stuff <clears throat> right there. The, the landowner's actions, they seem foolish, right? They seem unfair. They seem unjust. Why is he not paying, why is he paying the way he did? Why is he paying them all the same when they worked totally different lengths of time? I think we'd all have the same reaction as those, those workers who worked all day. But what this parable shows us is that the landowner's value system was very different from, he had a different way of thinking about it than the workers did. What was important to him was different. What, it seemed foolish, but behind it all, there were things that really, really mattered to him. That really didn't matter so much to the workers, especially the ones who'd been working all day long. And what do, what do they reveal? Well, two things, I think. The landowner, he had one thing that was really important to him was he had a harvest. There were grapes that were ready to be picked. And when it's harvest time, any of you with any sort of background in agriculture or been around farming, you know this. Like when it's harvest time, you got to get that harvest in. If you don't get it in quickly, you can easily lose the harvest or part of the harvest. And that's what all your work towards the year has gone towards, is bringing in that harvest. That's what really matters. Everything boils down to, to the harvest. And so when it's ripe, man, all hands on deck. You're working long hours, you're trying to hire people, you're trying to do whatever you can to bring in that harvest before it is ruined. The farmer knows, the owner knows that that harvest is only ripe for a season. And after a little while, it will be too ripe. And then it's not good anymore. And so, and the value is, man, let's get this harvest in while it's ripe. Second thing, that's important to him is, I think, it shows in the story, it definitely is God's heart, is that there's something that just bothers the landowner about workers, about people, people made in the image of God, that don't have something meaningful to do with their life. That they're sitting idle in the marketplace. Here is a day, and they have nothing important to give their life to. And I think the more you have God's heart, the more you, you get this. It's like, man, that's just not right. God made people to have something important to be giving their life to. God made us to be waking up every day going, man, I have a mission and a purpose, and I'm getting after it. There's something I was made for, and there's something God is about, and my life is about that. And God is looking to connect idle, unhired people, purposeless people, with his mission. And that is of utmost value. To say, you know, you haven't found it yet, but here, let me, let me hire you. Let me help you see there is something more important to live for. I have a purpose. I am bringing my goodness into the world. I am touching lives. I am reshaping society. I am building families. I am bringing, I, I am bringing my goodness into the world through people. And I want to bring that to you, and I want you to be a part of bringing that to people around you. 
And when God sees someone idle, it's just like, oh my goodness, this is so wrong. This is just, this is not what I made you for. I want to hire you into my purpose. And so I believe God wants us to have that same change in our value system that can make us do stuff that seems foolish. First of all, we see there's a harvest that's ripe. You know, there is, Jesus said that. He said the fields are white for harvest. And I just, I sense that so much right now in our culture, that people, just the stats I said about people, the loneliness and the addictions and the anxiety, that is, that's not good. But that also is putting people in a position to see, wow, I need something more. I, life is not working. I, maybe God, maybe, I, maybe it's time for God. There are people that are open in a way that I think I've probably never seen in my lifetime right now. The harvest is ripe. But the challenge to me is, how do you find those people? Like, it's so sequestered and isolated and separated. There's, but there, there is a harvest that, that matters. And so the second point is also that God is looking not only to harvest people, but to send people into the harvest. To send people out as laborers to say, you know what, you are here for a reason. And a big part of that reason is to help other people come to know God and help them grow. Now, our church is all about being a disciple-making church. We're called to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus who are committed to his leadership in our life, and then disciples who help other people become disciples of Jesus. And that's the call that, that God has for, for all of us. Um, so what does that look like? I, let me just say this, too. I almost forgot this. But I was this week I was meeting with the pastors and leaders of Called the Greatness Campus Ministry um, and just talking about different stuff. And I was sharing some of the stuff on my heart. Like, so I said, man, I feel like in our church there's like this, this place. There are people that God is drawing right now. There are people in our community that are needing to be called into meaningful work, called into a meaningful purpose with their life. But there's challenges to, to make that happen. And I, I'm, I'm struggling with, like, what do we need to do to make that happen. And I said that, and my friend Jesse Brinson, he, he was here a couple months ago, he said, oh, it's interesting that you say that, because when we first started meeting, we were praying together, and I saw these two pictures come to mind that I think they're for you guys, they're for your church. And I didn't really know what they meant, but it, it seems like it's coming together now that you say that. And the first picture was, he saw like a, a forest with these big trees, and this like, you know, big canopy of trees reaching to the sky. But then it kind of zoomed in on, and there were these, these random small trees, little saplings in the forest. And the immediate question came to his mind was, how are they going to make it? Because all the big trees are blocking the sun, and there's not room for them to grow. Like, they're just, they've, how, they're, they're, how can they reach the sun? They're being crowded out. And then um, he saw another picture, and Jesse likes to hunt. And he's like, it was a big 80-acre cornfield. Like, I walk around when I'm hunting because you, you don't want to disturb the deer in the middle of the corn. But it was just this massive, big cornfield. And I, it struck me that it was different because there was, every plant had access to the sun. Like, there was, there was room for every, every corn plant to, to get the sun, and, and therefore they could all grow to the same height together. And it's like, wow, that's really interesting. Because actually the thing I was bringing up to this group, and it's, I had a feeling this was going to happen today. I just, I knew this was going to happen. I had, back in my, I just had a feeling. 
Because what I've been feeling is that I knew it was going to happen because this week we've got like a lot of people sick and a lot of people out of town and our numbers are a little less. And so it's like, this is going to just make me look like a fool while I'm talking about being a fool for Christ. Because what I've been feeling is like, you know, I feel like our room on Sundays is getting a little full where there are new people God is bringing and they're maybe feeling like there's not room for them. They're not maybe consciously, but just kind of the subliminal messages. And that's just like one illustration. But this is what I was presenting to these pastors. Like, I'm wondering if we need to go to two services. Because I feel like then there are actually these rules, people who study churches, that when a room gets 80% full, it's full. It stops growing. It's kind of like a fish in an aquarium. Like it only gets to that mass, because that, that size. Because people sort of start feeling like, okay, we've, we've filled the room. And then new people come, and they kind of feel like, oh, it, was, it feels kind of full there. Like, there's not really a place for me. And so church, like, you know, there's this kind of wisdom. Okay, when you get to that place, you need to start a new church or start a new service or something if you want to keep reaching people. And I was just feeling like, I think that there's this harvest in our community right now. And I'm wondering if maybe that's what we need to do. And so I just want to leave that with you all to, to think about, too. But I think that spirit of it, in our lives, like, God, there are a lot of people in, in our community. There are people that have, we've been meeting that are like those little saplings. And it's really important for them to know that the last will be first. It's really important for them to know that, like, hey, this is a, God's family is a place where you can be totally wet behind the ears and not know anything. But you get paid just as much as the dude that's been a Christian for 50 years. Like, you are, there is, like, no, there's no, like, hierarchy in that sense of like, oh no, I gotta like earn my, like no, you can be brand new and you're fully in. And this is fully a place for you to find community and find purpose and find meaningful service. Um, and so I just wanna say this, I, like I said, I had a feeling I was gonna have to look like a fool to throw this out today, so here we go. Um, I'm wondering, this is just one, oh before I go there, you know, there, I just wanna encourage us in our personal lives really to be Letting God, let us be willing to be fools and see what that looks like in our neighborhood, in our classes, in our family. God, what are you saying to me? What are maybe some of the things that I tend to hold on to? But you're saying, hey, just leave that in the pasture. Trust it to me and do something that, that seems crazy. Um, my son, Cade, he, he was here for the first part of the service. He's going to Iowa State He's a sophomore, and he's just, God's gotten a hold of his life in just powerful ways, and he's, it's cool to see him serving God at Ames, and he's always been a good student, um, and he still is, but he's, we were just been talking recently, he's like, you know, Dad, I'm like, schools, I'm in design, and it takes a lot of time, but really, like, just, I don't want that to, I, I don't know how much that matters, I mean, I know it matters, but there are these other things that are really important. Like there's this guy I met at the park and he's, he was in a really low place and it wasn't working out. So he's like practically living with us right now. And he's opening up his heart to God and he's coming around and his life's being changed. And there's this other guy that his life is being changed. And he's like, man, I, there's this group of us that's coming together and we're growing and there's just this passion and this excitement for serving God and what's going on today. And he's like, I have to like be giving myself to that. And as a parent, it's like, it's funny. I've been, like, preaching this to people ever since I was doing this in college, and God got a hold of my heart like that. It's like, okay, yes, 
but don't fill out a school, too. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, but it's true. It's like, man, that's right. God's going to take care. You're, you're doing your school, but your heart, God is shifting your heart, and that's a good thing, and I just want to encourage that. So, in our personal lives, I want to encourage that. We're going to be doing some things, too, even there's some, some things happening in a few weeks. There's going to be an event um, in different cities around Kansas. Some friends of us are doing. It's going to be happening here in City Park, where it's going to be an open-air worship time and a proclamation of the gospel. That's going to be on October 10th, the Saturday. And so that's going to be a really cool thing to be inviting people to, to come and just believe God to touch people's lives. This is, these, things like this have been happening around the country, and there have been hundreds of people encountering God and getting baptized and following him. And so we're, just, we're trusting God to do some really cool stuff. And then I just want to say this out, throw this out here to you as, as we close. The whole idea about two services. I honestly, my sense is that I think that's what God is leading us to do. And it seems kind of crazy. And I've been talking to different people, a bunch of you in the room about this. And I don't, I'm not sure. It's, it's you know, it's, it's got to be not just a me idea, but an all of us idea. But this is what our, our plan is is that if we would do it, we wouldn't want to do it any later than October 11th. Because that would be too late, and this, all the semester would be almost over. We wouldn't have enough momentum to really make it happen. So that's three Sundays from now. Um, and so our thought is we're not going to do We're going to do it if the following things happen. We're going to do it if there are 70 people here for two Sundays between now and then. So that's at least two out of the next three Sundays. And then we're going to do it. It would also take quite a few new volunteers, which quite a, quite a few new crazy people that are serving in different things on Sunday morning. And these are, this, these are how many people it would take. It would take like five new setup and takedown volunteers or fools, we'll just call them, because that's, man, they're the people that like get here the earliest and stay here the latest right now. Um, but we would like to actually split that up into a separate set, setup and takedown team if we did two services. Um, but it would take at least five new people doing that. It would take at least five new people on our welcome team to be greeting people and welcoming people every Sunday morning. Um, it would take a bunch of new people in our whole production area of like the video and sound. So like two to five new people with our, running our sound. And that could be someone that's like, you know, I kind of I like music. Maybe I'd like to be on the worship team or maybe not. But someone just with an ear and it's a place to help balance the sound and, and run that. Um, we, we need at least two or more people doing that. And similarly with our video, and that's largely like Matt running the, the slides and stuff, setting that up, and then also our video production and stuff we're putting online for people right now. Um, it would take two, at least two or more people, hopefully five, doing that. It would take one to two new people helping with our coffee every week or in that rotation, and it would take Five new kids face fools, and those are really fools too, running with the, taking care of the little ones and having fun, laying down their life with them. So <clears throat> that is what we're just throwing out there. And I want to just see, you know, that may or not be the way this plays out. The principles of this are true. My honest sense is I think this could happen. I think God could do it. I think God could use us and reach people, and we could see a harvest like we've never seen before. Um, but however it plays out, I believe this is what God wants to put in front of us. I want to just close with this. A real well-known quote, but Jim Elliott was a young man back in the 
I think it was the early 1950s, and God had gotten a hold of his life. And in his journals, he wrote this down. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And most of the things that we are like so afraid of losing, those are things we're going to lose anyway at some point. It's not going to last, whether it's our financial gain or our status. or that's, You're not going to keep that anyway. But we can give those things to gain things from God and for eternity that we can't lose. And Jim Elliott actually lived this out. You could just see how God was working in his heart because he and his young wife and four other couples from the U.S. moved to the jungles of South America and became missionaries to this tribe of people called the Aka that had not encountered the gospel prior to this time. And Jim Elliott and these other young men went to bring the gospel, and they actually were murdered by these cannibal people and gave their life. They gave what they could not keep. And, but what was interesting is that Family members still went, and others still went to the Ake people and brought this message of a God who was so willing, that loves us so much, that he was willing to give his life for us to reconcile us to himself. And those people, the Ake, ended up turning to faith in Jesus and following him through those fools who gave their life to make a difference in the lives of others. And that's really just what God calls us to. As he's He's extended, he sends his life to us, and we get to live that way too. So I want to pray for us. Um, any questions before I pray? Eric? Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, it's amazing the power of, of initiating a friendship with somebody. And, and I think, I was going to mention, that also made me think about just the, it's hard for me to gauge, but I think the dynamics right now, I mean, we're doing a little more social distancing with our chair set up and you know, a lot of us wearing masks and things. And I think that is good. And, but I also think, like I was talking to Eddie and he was like, you know, it's just, I, Sometimes it's, it's been harder to make connections with new people 
when you're wearing a mask. It's harder to like get to know somebody and like take it to that next step. And so, and I think it's also, there are a lot of the people that I'm most in my life that are the most lost sheep, they're also the most cautious about being around people right now. And like the, the more like consideration that there is, the more it, is help, it helps people. And so I just really want to encourage us to be thinking like that. Like how can I make those connections and really love people that way? Yeah. Good. Any other questions, thoughts? Cool. Yeah, Jehu. Yeah. Good question. Do we have to actually hit all seven of those, or is there another good enough spot? Um, I think the good enough spot is like we have enough passionate, energetic, fool volunteers to make it happen. So if that could look a different way, if there are people going, man, I want to like serve in two services, then that can change the numbers. Or I want to serve on two teams maybe for a season. Or maybe there's another way, but it, it, there needs to be like us, like saying, like us really having enough that we're doing it with, with enough momentum. So maybe we can be, we'll look at that. It's more of a passion and energy level than just the pure numbers, but... Those numbers by themselves, it would be a pretty no-brainer. Like, okay, yeah, we're ready to do this, I think. Does that make, does that, okay. Good question. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Thoughts? I was going to say, I didn't leave the obvious. Like, so if you're like, man, I, oh. Tom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're thinking probably like 9.30 and 11. Um, it could be 9 and 11, but I think we could swing like a little tighter services. And just 9.30 seems a lot, not so early as 9 to some people <laughs> to get here. So we might do that. And that also helps with like setup and worship team. And, um, and also be kind of cool even in the transition, just people seeing each other, being in the lobby together. Um, so that's tentatively what we were thinking it could look like, yeah. So 9.30, We're thinking, I said August 11th, or October 11th being the start date if we would do it this, this fall. Probably that's what we're thinking. Good. All right. Um, if you say, like, man, I want to volunteer for something, you can write that on your connection card and uh, drop that off in the offering or at the Welcome Center. Or we also have the, the table out there with different areas. And you can grab one of those cards and call or email the person. It's got a little bit of information and then a contact person to talk to. Um, the one that says production is for both like the sound and video stuff. So like what Matt does and the sound, um, that's all under the same card. Sweet. Well, I'm just going to pray and go from there. Lord, just thank you so much for your heart. And... Thank you for your heart for us. God, I pray that whatever you're speaking to each one of us, you would, you would just cause your word to get in there and us not to, to escape.
from it. And Lord, I, just, I thank you for the way you reach us as lost people, and you also hire us and give us something, just the most meaningful thing to give our life to. And so, Lord, we pray that that would just unfold in our individual lives, in our church community. Pray that for other churches in Manhattan. Lord, help us to, to reach the harvest, to bring in the harvest, Lord, to continue to see people come to know you and come into what you have for them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan. That was great. You know, I 